You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. I'm Bill Powers. It's Mining Stock Education. Thank you for tuning in. We're speaking today to Joe Mazumdar of Exploration Insights. Joe, welcome back onto the program. And there's a lot of geopolitical issues going on that's causing the price of gold to go up significantly in the last few weeks. When it comes to how war affects the resource investor, could you share some insights with us? How have you managed a junior resource portfolio through the threat and effects of war? Well, I mean, you've got getting over the human, uh, you know, aspects of this and all the other, you know, politics related to it. If we're just talking about resource sector, I mean, the recent geopolitical crisis and the ongoing stuff. I mean, right now, the Ukraine stuff is not really impacting the market. It might be impacting some commodities, um, you know, like grain and stuff like that uh, in terms of logistics. But right now, overall market, I don't think it's impacting it very much. What is impacting it now is more what's happening in the Middle East and the potential for that to impact oil even more. And that would impact costs and that would impact producers. Um, uh, towards uh, you know the second half and potentially into uh, into next year, depending on how long this goes, uh, you know if there is an oil embargo or or something else happens. So that's that's one aspect of it. Uh, and then does that send the uh, the global economy, which is also you know a bit teetering now with weakness in China, does that send that uh, growth slower? So then that impacts all industrial metals, you know, in near term, like copper and nickel and um, iron ore, what have you. Um, and then on the other side, on precious metals, all the geopolitical risk. And then does this spill over into Taiwan and China? You know, who knows? Uh, you know, uh, that, you know, uh, supports, uh, you know, uh, safe haven assets, which gold is, is, is one. Usually the impacts are ephemeral. They don't last very long. But this crisis is just beginning and and nobody's really sure how it's going to end. Uh, and so that has that underlying uh, support for gold, which, uh, you know, is helping, uh, you know, some resource stocks. But I think the worry about cost escalation versus, you know, oil, uh, you know, the, the higher interest rates, where do we go with that? Uh, has more people on the fence with respect to equities. And that's just not resource equities. That's almost all equities. Um, and so, you know, it, it's almost better to look at physical gold right now than going into equities. Um, and, and we could talk about that when we when we delve into financing. But yeah, right now, it, it's hard to know. It's hard to predict you know, because going into the year, I'm, you know, continued to be very bullish on copper, but the near-term aspects of what was happening in China definitely put a damper on that. I don't think the medium-term changes at all. If not, it looks even better. Um, but, you know, it's hard to predict, you know, a crisis in the Middle East. It's hard to predict, you know, the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, or potentially what might happen in Taiwan. And those things are not things that that any geopolitical uh, observer, you know, would have said, "Oh, that's going to happen," you know, this year. I, you know, and me, less likely. Have you ever done any studies? And this is just a question off the top of my head, like on tungsten. 
as it relates to the war cycle. So if you get these minerals that are used for plating tanks or in munitions, like how does that commodity price cycle through a war? Have you studied any of that in the past? No, but I, I know that, you know, especially with the, I, I, you know, the Department of Energy, I'm sorry, uh, 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 Defense, I mean, they, they hold stockpiles uh, of certain metals that they, that they you know, uh, deem to be strategic, critical for them. Uh, and that doesn't go out to everybody to know, but, uh, you know, I, I'm sure they do that. Uh, you know, and they're, you know, you know whether you should, the Department of Defense or Energy allocating capital now to critical strategic uh, minerals, you know, that's part of the concern as well is the higher um, you know level of technology and some of these weapon systems that require some kind of minerals or metals that might have uh, that might mostly be processed in places like china you know whether it's rare earths or, or or other elements joe if a resource investor is not positioned in lithium juniors right now as lithium has been hot for a while now would you recommend taking a look at lithium stocks or what's your analysis of the sector overall right now so lithium, I mean, uh, the lithium carbon equivalent, which is not free trading that much, but but it's still out there. It's not very liquid. It's down about sixty-five to seventy percent year to date. Um, you know, uh, after hitting new highs, uh, all-time highs last year. But the lithium equity ETF LIT is down only fifteen to sixteen percent. And what's underlying that is is industry consolidation. Because we see the outcomes and the live events merging, we're seeing single asset explorers and developers uh, being uh, acquired or being funded. Whether it's uh, Patriot Battery Metals with Albemarle, uh, with a big financing, uh, Lion Town being bid up, uh, and, and also um, uh, there's another one in Australia that just got bid by uh, Sokimich uh, by SQM. Um, so. All that consolidation makes people think, wow, that's the sector I want to be in. And hence, the lithium equities have done quite well. Um, you know, because we're in a moment where lithium is needed, but the optimal way of getting lithium, which might be from the brines or from direct lithium extraction, technically, one isn't commercial yet, the DLE technology, and the other one has a limit in terms of. Uh, uh, you know how many brines there are out there, and that's why something like Thacker Pass, which probably never would have been built anywhere else and requires about two point two billion dollars, is getting funded six hundred fifty million dollars by Ford and a billion dollars by the Department of Energy, I believe, in their biggest potential allocation of capital to what they'll call a strategic mineral over critical, because what is critical, they've got their list. Uh, but what's strategic is really lithium for them and uh, rare earths. Those are two uh, uh, very strategic minerals for them. So, yes, I would say a lot of them have run up, uh, but the industry consolidation uh, and, um, and, and also the government's putting money into it suggests that the financing risk for a lot of these lithium projects is much less. Than, than than other sectors uh, 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 right now in, in the commodities. Snowline Gold is uh, one of the success stories in the gold exploration sector. I believe they had about a $700 million market cap last time I looked. When a market cap of an explorer gets that big, 
Joe, do you, is it just hands off just because of the size? You missed the run up from 20 cents to five bucks. Do you stand back or would you take a serious look at a play like this? Well, you know, I had an opportunity. I did visit it uh, uh, last year and I was impressed by the management uh, and uh, technically uh, what they're doing. Um, so that's probably why they get such a premium because of the quality of the management. Their ability to attract a potential suitor in B2 Gold uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, helping them fund so that you know, they got more than enough money. Well, uh, I'll take that back because, you know, uh, for them uh, in terms of drilling, uh, you know, that could be 800 to to $1,000 per meter up there. Uh, you know, remote, helicopter supported, diesel generated, um, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so my, my issue was more infrastructure. Uh, infrastructure is less of an issue for a gold project than it is for a base metal project, but it is remote. So some of this grade that that they get, which is great for an open pit, metallurgy is fantastic, I believe, uh, because I went and saw the core. A lot of it was very coarse and visible, and I think now they have a better understanding of the geological constraints on on the high grade. Um, but still, infrastructure is a problem in the Yukon. You know, uh, if this was in Ontario or Quebec, this would get built in a second, and it might even be worth twice as much as it is now. Um, but uh, infrastructure will be a problem, and the money that they need, they will spend because it won't be cheap uh, to drill there. I'm, my next trip, I just came back from Chile and Peru over the uh, last two weeks, and my next trip is, is to Yukon Geoscience. So that will be about critical minerals because uh, they are you know interested in that but the new cons problem is as they don't have a big enough population base to invest in the infrastructure required to build a lot of these projects so what is what are you most bullish on joe when you look over the commodity sector uh you know i look for the macro trends before i go down into the fundamentals of a given company what do you see what are you bullish on i i'm, I'm i continue to be bullish on copper uh, because I, I don't think there's enough out there. And I think right now with all the negativity on industrial metals um, and, and uh, the, the, you know, the low price of copper, which is not an incentive to develop or sometimes even expand projects, makes that medium term issue on the supply side, it makes it even more explosive. Uh, and so looking at those projects, you know, like, like, uh, you know, I, I don't like mentioning companies, but the, one of my topics is Arizona Sonora Copper. And why is it a topic? It is copper, but it's going to go into that 2026, 2027 development issue where there's not going to be enough. But it is in the U.S., it's on private land, it has access to water, and it's actually going to produce cathode, not concentrate. Because if you produce concentrate in the States, it can't get smelted in the States. It's got to go to Asia. So you don't know what you're going to get back. It's not going to be cathode. It's going to be a car or it's going to be a washing machine. So, uh, you know, if, if, if the U.S. is keen on manufacturing and building these things in the U.S., what they're not keen on is developing projects that would feed into that manufacturing. And so if I'm going into the U.S. knowing that this is what they need, I've got to really refine the project, whether it's you know, such as it's a project that can be built. If it wasn't on private land, would you have invested in the company? No, no. Yeah. Uh, there's just too much risk uh, in terms of how this uh, an NGO flies in. 
right before it gets permitted or right after it gets permitted and threatens to sue the Corps of Engineers or another, uh, you know, the Department of Interior, they get all scared and they let it go and suspend it. Uh, you know, so, yeah, I have no, you know, optimism or regard for the government institutions to support their 50,000 pages of documentations and their five years of public meetings and all the other, you know, hoops that they make companies go through and then totally disregard them after. So if, as long as it's state run, fine. But as you can see, when they really, really need it, like the Lithium Project at Thacker Pass in Nevada, they did have indigenous groups that were against it. They had ranchers that were worried about the water. But they got their permit. Uh, because why is because they really need the lithium and once they really need the copper maybe some of these projects will be looked at again but in the interim uh, I'm not you know sort of like wasting my time on a big development project that's copper um, you know that uh, that may never get permanent in the interim you just lifted up so many risks there that we have to manage as resource investors what do you see as the biggest risk in Q4 of this year well, depending what you're investing in, uh, so uh, the price risk for industrial metals continues, and the big risk there is for a slowdown in global uh, economy. What that sets up for me on the copper sector, even a better market for the ones I think that work, that you can keep advancing. You're not just waiting for that to change in three years. You're actually going through, you know, with the production coming into that window as opposed to now, okay, I'll get funded. And then I come in in three to five years from now. Uh, so uh, I, I think that sets that opportunity up better. Uh, the other one with gold uh, and precious metals is more so do the interest rate hikes keep going up. Uh, if they do, then real rate interest rates go up and then gold starts moderating. But how long can the geopolitical, I, I know this sounds bad, but how long can the geopolitical risks that are you know embedded right now uh, how how long do they stay and underpin the gold price because between central banks and this geopolitical risk that's what's supporting gold because it's it, you know um because now we have you know people looking at gold equity etfs and that'll spill into the equities if if this if this uh, continues long enough but the problem on the other side is that if oil keeps going up then a lot more of these margins will get squeezed because still diesel's uh, a significant part of the cost profile. And then on the other side, the other problem is that we have with labor costs going up, especially in the states and places like that. You know, with the new unions and stuff like that, and the bargain being, you know, those those costs are going up maybe fifteen to twenty percent. So that's another issue uh, that, that that we might have to deal with. Joe, what do you think about financing an Explorco at these levels? They're at like multi-multi-year levels, and they do a keep-the-lights-on raise to where they even are truthful and tell you, hey, this raise is functionally for G&A. We're not going to put any drills in the ground because we can't right now. Have you ever supported a company in such a raise? I guess it depends on the underlying asset. Uh, if 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 they can't get money uh, for you know whatever reason and you still like the asset and you want them to hold the option and you don't want them to do anything 
because you don't want them to have to raise again. And maybe you think that fuse might be 18 months to two years and they have enough money. Maybe. Uh, but that's not something I'm, I'm, I, I, I go out of my way to, uh, to invest in. But if I'm already in it, and I still think it's undervalued, then uh, you know, I, you know, I have less issues with it. Like, I, I know Liberty Gold uh, did that financing, but their financing was under, underpinned by a royalty company. Uh, I believe it was uh, sure it was a Cisco or, but but that that basically gave the royalty company access to that half a percent NSR, but it allowed Liberty the option of taking that NSR out and, and you know having it but also it gave them uh you know five million dollars in their in their till to keep progressing on the permitting and and their technical reports uh you know so it, you know if gold turns here's potentially a three million ounce deposit going to five in a jurisdiction southern Utah there's, they have access to water. There are no trees there, like in most of uh, southern Idaho, sorry, uh, uh, that they have to deal with. So this looks like a permittable project uh, that can get built, and it's run of mine uh, heat bleach as opposed to crushing, so that's lower cost. So those sort of things, specific projects, specific management, I can see, but not not uh, a potpourri of things that I would uh, that I would uh, say is this is my new sort of uh, investing philosophy or anything like that. I'd like to get your thoughts on cobalt and investing in cobalt projects. I read something recently to where cobalt as a byproduct of I believe copper and nickel mines is going to provide enough supply to meet the year over year demand of uh, I believe fourteen percent. Uh, what do you think about cobalt? So cobalt 2023, uh, the whole production was about 155,000 uh, tons uh, metric. Uh, 60 to 65% of that is from the DRC and from copper projects. Uh, and that's just five. Five. So heavily concentrated. And, and so I tend to avoid uh, metals that are byproduct driven because the production the supply is not driven by the price of that commodity it's usually driven by the price of the other commodity whether it's copper or nickel so would you avoid silver if i could interject because of that reason because so much of it is a byproduct yes i mean I, uh, silver is is problematic uh but i mean it gets this huge premium if you get a project that's just silver uh because they, they're rare but they're they're usually not very good uh, so usually the silver comes from byproducts. Um, uh, another one, uh, like I mean, uh, the zinc mine. You know, I think it's in, in Europe and produces, you know, heaps of silver. Uh, you know, Bingham produces lots of gold. You know, these 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 guys can produce a lot and they don't even care about it. And Molly was another one. So when I worked for Phelps Dodge, Molly is basically driven by byproducts from from copper mines, and, and so you. you you know, it's hard to think if you could ever develop a primary molly mine. People tried, but then they, what they didn't realize is the people that uh, have the byproduct, they can change their mine plan to mine molly-rich parts of the mine just because molly went up more than when the copper, which is what we did at Phelps Dodge. So when copper tripled, you know, we were, yeah, you know, I think molly went up almost 10 times. And so you would pick these molly rich areas and then suddenly there was more molly than you thought would because no the market doesn't have access 
to these big minds and their mind plans, and they are flexible. Uh, so I don't tend to do those because I know there's a high risk behind them that people don't really understand how the uh, the big minds will react to it. So avoid co cobalt, in your opinion, right now, or at least not actively looking for cobalt projects. Yeah, I mean, if I had cobalt as a byproduct in a, in a project, I'm I'm happy, but I wouldn't go look out for primary cobalt. Let's just say, okay, primary molly. What about Mexican mining reforms? We talked about that last time you were on the show. Any updated thoughts? No. And surprisingly, uh, most companies aren't talking about it a lot. Usually it's buried in their MDA. And why it's buried is because even though it's a law, people don't know how it's going to be applied. Because this was made as a law like here, and now it's got to come down to see, okay, who's going to test this? What most of the legal disputes are about is taking projects from operators that have been in Mexico and trying to grandfather them. Uh, whereas the government's saying, hey, you can't grandfather these projects, you know, uh, whereas these guys are, you know, the only person or people that are winning right now are the lawyers. You know, uh, uh, that's the, the the profession that that's winning right now in terms of this. I don't, I don't think it's the Mexican government. I don't think it's uh, obviously the companies. Definitely not the explorers. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm involved in a Mexican mining conference in February next year, and most of that will be around. Well, what the hell's going on? You know, how is this applied to us? You know, uh, when can we start working? Because it's even perception risk is a problem because you're not going to get money. You, you know, nobody's getting money right now. But let's say it was a little bit more of a buoyant market. Your first option may not be a Mexican explorer you know, right now. And most of the ones I've seen or I have exposure to are now diversifying outside of Mexico. You know, they're going to Canada, they're going to Nevada, they're going somewhere else. And I doubt if there's any new companies right now that are thinking about getting their toes wet in Mexico right now. Do you have any exposure to Bolivia as a jurisdiction in your portfolio? No, uh, never have. And would you go there if you saw something or is that one of the jurisdictions you write off? No, it's, 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 it's too left wing of a government. So if you ever find something really, really good, I mean, they'll take it. Uh, they would have no bones about doing it. Um, and and there's also a lot of, you know, uh, what do you call it? it uh, artisanal miners, let's call them that, that are significant players. And so you definitely need a lot of uh, experience dealing with a whole bunch of people. Uh, in terms of uh, how you how you mine something or how you you know deal with workers and who you compensate and that sort of stuff. Uh, so yeah, I, I yeah I don't tend to do and uh, tend to expose myself to that country. Joe, this next question has to do to with what you do when you own a stock that's approached for a takeover or there's an agreement made between the two companies and the stock jumps 30, 40 percent on the announcement. Do you personally usually just sell when you get that liquidity and that bump, or do you hold on to it? And the reason I ask is because we can look at tech stock, and after the Glencore offer, it's back to where it was pre-offer, and so it would have been wiser to sell, you know, in the last seven months. Well, I would say specifically with tech, which I bought because I was bullish. I continue to be bullish on coal because I think that that's uh, an asset that's uh, undercapitalized, and I don't see it's going away as soon as other people think it's going to go away. 
and you still need metallurgical coal for steel. So the problem for tech was one, you know, most of their commodity prices have come down uh, as they have for everybody, but they've had a lot of operational issues. So their Q3 2023 uh, results that just came out, 15 to 16% drop in revenue and a 36% drop in EBITDA. And that's partly because of commodities, but also operational issues, geotech issues at Highland Valley, equipment failures at Red Dog, which is zinc. And then they also, you know, they, they have this project called uh, New Range Copper Nickel with Polymet. And, and that one had a permit revoked by the US Corps of Engineers in June. Uh, and that's a copper nickel project. So uh, yeah, I, I think tech has been taking a plunge more so because of their financials uh, rather than uh, the, the, uh, a resonating impact from the bid sort of diminishing in time. Uh, uh, so I don't know if that's a great example. But if if I did get an offer, I would probably sell at least half of it into it and keep it because sometimes I sell into it, and you know because that was my sort of thinking. Okay, sell it, and and I might own shares of the takeover company, which I don't want, and sell it. Uh, uh, that's usually worked, but it did not work with respect to new market. So New Market is the company I owned, uh, which was a junior in Australia, and they were operating Fosterville. And I just got there when they were finding, you know, the zones of high grade, which uh, had the antimony, better milling, higher grade, because Fosterville was a refractory biooxidation project that, you know, made money, but not a lot, very marginal. And then they started finding these new zones. And when they started finding these new zones and they put in a gravity circuit, the recoveries were better. And then it just went nuts. But it didn't go nuts in new market. It went nuts in, um, uh, what's it, uh, Kirkland. Uh, so if I kept the shares in Kirkland, I would have done much better. But I sold it uh, because I thought, well, you know, that's what I wanted. I made a double, doom, I'm gone let these guys deal with it. But what they dealt with was a much better asset as they were drilling and they found more. Uh, so yeah, it can be good sometimes and it could be bad sometimes. But you know, if you want to try to mitigate that, you know, then maybe you just sell half into that bid. My last question, Joe, before you go is in the gold and silver sector, mining sector, from the perspective of the issuer, not from the perspective of the investment bank, what's the most impressive financing that you've seen recently? Okay, and a project I visited, uh, I, I don't own, uh, but I, I would say Reunion Gold because we don't have the backdrop of of uh, flow-through financing helping or anything like that. This is in Guyana. Uh, they have the Oco West uh, open pit amenable project that they put out a resource in June, about 4.2 million ounces of just under two grams. 60% uh, of that was indicated. Uh, and Guyana is uh, one of the better jurisdictions in Northern South America. They raised seventy million, and I believe they upsized it. But it was forty-six cents per share. They've got lots of shares out, uh, but it, it was a twenty percent discount to their fifty-two week high, which at, at that time just happened. I think the month before, sixty percent premium to their fifty-two week low. 
but importantly, a 6% discount to their 20-day volume-weighted average. And so if you want to look at it, look at the 20-day volume-weighted average, and if you can get it almost at the money there in this environment, no warrants, I think that was uh, a success. Uh, and you know, and then it was a significant amount of capital in terms of seventy million. Excellent. Well, Joe's website is explorationinsights.com. You can go there, find more about his, his subscription service, as well as free articles and educational resources there. As always, Joe, really appreciate your insight. Thanks for coming on today's show. Great. Thanks a lot, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty dollars or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.